Hello and welcome to Bring Out a Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. We're talking basketball today. So Eric Rubin is here. Eric, how are you doing? I am still living on the high of uh, an 83-82 home win over the Kansas Jayhawks and more importantly, sitting at number one in the Big 12 standings in January, late January. It's, awesome. it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that game, I'm sure, as we go on. But for now, we're going to look ahead a little bit to Saturday. Kansas State gets Texas Tech. So we've got Carlos Silva, the sports editor at the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. Carlos, how you doing? Finding you all. Just a little bit windy, but uh, I think everyone expects wind in Lubbock, just like I expect it to be very cold in Manhattan every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we, we appreciate you joining us. You know, the season hasn't been going as well for Texas Tech. The Red Raiders in last place right now. I haven't won a game yet in conference. And it seems to me Texas Tech fans are kind of mixed between, hey, this team's so young and talented on the cusp of competing and doing something, especially now that Fardell's IMAC is healthy and ready to go. But then there are other guys that are just like, oh, this is a lost season. We're the worst team in the Big 12 by a long shot. You know, which is closer to reality right now, do you think? I think if you look at Twitter, I think the reality is everyone thinks the season's over. They think the coaching staff did not a coach. They think the players don't like the coaching staff. If you're covering the team or you kind of watch the team, you can see that there is some fight. I mean, yes, they lost that one game to Iowa State by 34 points, but you saw the bounce back that they had on the road against a really good Texas team that was ranked number 10 at that point. So I think you do see small signs of progress. And I think a quote that I took away from Mark Adams last night following the loss was he just wishes he had a time machine. He can kind of bring it back to, you know, the first start of the season, because now that they have everyone close to healthy, Daniel Bacho still with a dislocated finger on his right hand and still kind of getting through an undisclosed illness that apparently he lost about 15 to 20 pounds with. He's still trying to regain that weight. And then, of course, as you guys just mentioned, Fardaz Amak finally coming back after suffering a broken bone in his foot from an offseason injury. I mean, you saw what they could do last night. I mean, they can shoot the ball very well. They can play about as well as they can. But the thing is, is, man, Baylor's got some really good guards. Keontae George being number one. But they played probably their best game that they could have in terms of not turning the ball over. Shot the ball well. Kerwin Walton, who had not been seen much time on the court came in and did what they thought and expected out of the transfer out of North Carolina, made four three-point shots. It was exactly what you want. It's just Baylor just played out of their minds, you know, and sometimes you get one of those games. And overall, if you want to go back to the question you just asked, I think sometimes you have good years and sometimes you have bad years. You look at West Virginia. West Virginia's kind of had a bad couple years. I mean, you just look at the type of conference that the Big 12 is right now. I mean, you guys just mentioned it at the top. Kansas State's atop the standings for crying out loud. Not to say that I wasn't expecting it. They were one of the dark horse teams that I thought were going to do pretty well this year when the Athletic had asked me for a poll. But you just look at the type of talent that Kansas State is a mess, that Kansas is a mess. It's just you're going to have a grinder every time Big 12 occurs every year it doesn't matter what's going on and then not only that but then uh, you know just for uh s's and giggles i guess just to keep it pg for you all but let's just add houston who's ranked number one and let's add cincinnati and some of these other teams just to you know make this even yeah. more difficult all those things but yeah to answer your question if you look at twitter i think everyone you know has abandoned ship i think overall i think the coaching staff still has the attention of the players there was a video going around of the press conference where Curran walton and jalen tyson were talking afterward and <laughs> right when they were done talking to the media they both hugged coach and said don't give up on us so 
I think whether or not that was, uh, you know, something, again, you can read into it however you want. I just consider it that's something that you don't necessarily see on a daily basis or, you know, that is just done to be done. Like they really do care about this coach. Coach Mark Adams cares about his players. And I think if that wasn't reciprocated by both sides, you would not see the type of effort and fight that they've had the last couple games. Yeah. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're only a third of the way through the conference slate. So it's important to remember that there's still a lot of basketball left to be played, but you know, we've been talking since back in November that, you know, we're already talking about in November about what teams are going to make it to the tournament, what's going to come out of the tur- out of the conference to get to the tournament as far as records. And, you know, we were acknowledging back then that we're going to have top 50 type teams that are going to finish the conference slate with, you know, one, two, three wins. It's just, it's insane, the level of competition in the Big 12 for basketball this year. Mm-hmm. And then like Eric and I were talking about earlier, I mean, Houston guys. is maybe... I think the best team in the country right now, obviously they're number one. And like, I think that's legit and that they're looking really good. And, you know, I mean, that that's one nice thing for Texas tech is like, you know, you've got some other teams in, in other conferences that might be in Texas tech position and thinking, okay, well, we've got to win this game and this game to have a chance. These are the big games, but Texas tech, that's every game almost. So you, you get a chance for those big wins. That's nice. Well, absolutely. Texas Tech is that most of the teams are ranked in the Big 12. I believe more than half, I want to say six of them are. So, again, they get an opportunity this weekend when they take on Kansas State, who's ranked number 13 going into this. But, again, you have the opportunities in front of you. They had an opportunity against Texas on the road. They had them up. They were up double digits, let go away. They were playing Baylor. They kept it close. They actually had it tied in the first half, and then they let that one go. So it's just, again, I know everyone's going to talk about the NCAA tournament, but I mean, it's going to be tough for Texas Tech. I mean, they don't necessarily have that quote unquote signature win. They had an opportunity right. to do that early. Uh, a couple teams in Maui. I know Creighton's not the best in the world right now. Louisville that they beat, they're not the best in the world. Georgetown is not typical Georgetown. And Ohio State, the one uh, Georgetown team hasn't been Georgetown for a while. Let's be honest. Oh, no, that's <laughs> a fair point. Well, and, and, and I guess just the point is, is just that the, the scheduling gods weren't on Texas Tech's side because typically you're going to get a better team out of that conference. It's just they got stuck with Georgetown this year. No offense yeah. to the Hoyas, but they just, like you said, aren't what they are. But going back, Ohio State, another opportunity that they had earlier in the year in the Jim Maui Invitational, weren't able to do that. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing for Tech is, yeah, you can – Go on a roll, but I mean, you, it's <laughs> time is ticking. I know Coach was talking about patience. Right now, you got to go to urgency and even sit survival mode at this point because you essentially have to win every single one of your games down the stretch now, and then that's including an LSU team that may not be playing great, but that would help. You know, I mean, it's at least a, a recognizable name to I mean, put on the resume. LSU, that was not an easy win for sure. Yep. Oh, no, absolutely. And then not only that, but then you may have to make a pretty big run in the tournament. And based on the record right now, you're going to probably have to play four games in five days because you're not going to be, you're not going to get that first day by. So, I mean, it's, it, it's a very difficult spot to be in. But as I mentioned before, the coaches believe in their players, the players believe in their coaches, and that has to be said for something. I know obviously fans on Twitter and everyone else want wins, but I mean, sometimes they're just really difficult. And I think this is something that probably isn't a popular thing to be said from Texas Tech, but I think sometimes when you have a lot of success, it's very difficult to remember you weren't this successful, you know, five or six years ago. And I think that's a small reminder as to what Texas Tech had. And I think maybe it's a little reality check for some fans now that, you know, yeah, they're upset that they're 
you know, losing right now, but just look at what the expectations were yeah. or have been and have turned into once you went to the national title back yeah. in 2019. And I mean, a big part of the success, maybe the biggest part since Mark Adams arrived has just been that toughness. And especially on the defensive end, it seems like maybe that's not there consistently right now, but you know, how close are they to getting to that defensive, that edge defensive? Well, I the mean, best the, seems so. well, I mean, they, they certainly showed it against Texas. I think uh, the biggest thing was they didn't show it against Baylor and, that's just a, a deal with Baylor. They've got four really good darn guards. I mean, Keontae George being the number one and then the tough thing too. And again, I know fans won't like to hear this. And uh, again, I'm just pointing out facts, but like when you add guys that were hurt back into the rotation, they're not in game shape. His defense is very difficult to understand with the no middle side defense because you have to keep players on the side. So that means not only do you have to be athletic and long to try and, you know, get your hands into passing lanes, but you have to be very quick footed. If say you have Fardaz Amak, Kevin O'Banner, or Daniel Bacho, who at times have been on the perimeter having to guard a Keontae George. And then when you do see that and they're able to do that, you saw a couple times against Baylor, if you're watching that game where they got easy layups because there were just miscommunications and that whole lane was open. If that happens with Marquise Noel, Kansas State's going to have a field day. And again, that's just something that you have to go through and goes back to that quote I mentioned about Mark Adams would love to have a time machine going back to the first day of the year. Yeah, they're looking like it's the first day of the year because they are reintroducing, yes, probably the key to the offense and really the foundation of what they wanted to do with Fardaz Amek was a walking double-double at Utah Valley, but that's what they're trying to do. They, they do not have time. Essentially, they want Fardaz to be ready yesterday. That's essentially yeah. what this is. <laughs> and unfortunately, that's just not the case. Before Texas, he didn't play a game, I want to say, for about almost a year. I think it was like March. I, I can't remember the, the date, but I know he played Adelaide yeah. Christian. And he played about 30 minutes or so. And then not only that, but then he didn't really practice much. He had one practice day before he played Texas. And he goes out and plays 29 minutes and has 12 points and five boards. So, I mean... He certainly has the effort there. It's just, again, going back to what we're talking about. It's the expectations of fans, which are certainly high after being to the Elite Eight, obviously the national championship in 2019, the Sweet 16 last year. Sometimes you just have your down years and you just have to kind of deal with it. And uh, unfortunately, right now they're in it. But uh, Mark Adams is doing his best, along with the coaching staff and the players, to make sure that, you know, they're not going to go on an offer run right now. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the no middle defense. Obviously, that's something Jerome Tang has tried to put in at Kansas State. And, you know, it's working fairly well. It's not I don't know if I'd say it's a strength of this team right now. But, I mean, you look at the stats, K-State is second and sorry, number one in three point field goal defense in the Big 12. You know, they're getting out on shooters. You saw yesterday. Marquise Noel was getting, you know, switched on to like Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick and, and did all right with it. You know what? Eric, how do you think they, the guys are handling that so far? Well, Kansas shot three for 26 from beyond the arc. So, <laughs> you know, if that, if, if that's your – so much of the, the college game has turned into outside shooting and getting all five – you know, honestly, most teams are looking for all five players being able to shoot from outside the arc. So if, you know, we, we've kind of taken our defense and put that pressure out there on them and basically, you know, to your point, almost to a disheartening level – you can score two, you're not scoring three on us. And that works as long as you've got the horses like a Keontae Johnson or a Marquise Noel and a Desi Sills coming off the bench that can score to keep on. 
you know, that's the key to being able to make that trade off is if you're going to let people score at the bucket, you're going to have to put points on the board yourself. So, yeah. By the way, shout out to Bill Self for racing three points before Jalen Wilson hit that shot. Iced his own kicker. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That was great. And K-State is actually shooting their second in Big 12 play in three-point percentage as an offense, which is kind of amazing from what we've seen in the past years. It's spectacular. And, you know, if we're talking about three-point field goal defense right now, given tonight, we're also including, you know, the relatively poor three-point shooting that we put up against KU last night as well. So we're doing that well, even considering the fact that we had a pretty off night from beyond the arc ourselves. So, you know, I've said this every damn time we've got on the podcast. I say it to everybody that I talk to. It's just a hell of a lot of fun to watch a basketball team that has basketball players on it. And that, like, you know, they can play defense. They can put the ball in the bucket. They look like they know what they're doing out there. It's just, man, it's it's hashtag make basketball fun again. No, absolutely. And, I mean, just to your all's point, I mean, Coach Adams used to joke, especially that year where Baylor went and won the national title, that the Bears would just play the no-middle defense better than they would. And that's because, again, going back to what you guys are talking about, I'm sure you can look down the list of all your guys minus Mark Noel and some of the other – you know, not uh, typical guards, if you will, in terms of height, but you look at guys that are six seven, six eight, six five with long arms, that's exactly what Coach Mark Adams likes, and that's what worked last year when he had a Bryson Williams, Adonis Arms, Davion Warren. They just look for guys that could do that. This year they tried to get shooting, which obviously works out, but that came at a price. They didn't have guys that could maybe be as quick and could – you know, defend one through five. And that was what they were able to do last year. They had a Marcus Santos Silva that, you know, be a five, but then he could still guard guys on the perimeter. You don't necessarily have that with the Farnaze, Matt. Maybe Kevin O'Banner has been a little bit better with it. Daniel Bacho's improving, but you've got three guys that essentially, if you have them all on the court, yeah, puts you in an ideal position on the offensive end, but defensively it hurts you, especially if you got guards like Baylor did last night. And I think that's going to be the big difference going into this contest is can Texas Tech, Slow down Kansas State because they want to go up tempo. Yeah, they're going to play the no middle defense, but I think the biggest thing is can Texas Tech take advantage of any mismatches that happen on the offensive end, and can they somehow mask what mismatches that are going to happen when Kansas State is on the offensive side? Yeah. Well, one thing I want to talk about that you know we're talking all about the no middle defense and what's the stuff the outside shot, but Daniel Bacho leads the Big Twelve in blocks per game right now. You know, how much of a rim protector is he for Texas Tech? And I know, I mean, blocking shots is not always indicative of being a great defender, but how is he looking so far? I mean, honestly, you could consider him an, uh, an eraser because he always stays under the basket. He'll stay close. and then nobody, I mean, ideally, they would like him to stay in the paint, close to the paint, just because, again, if someone uh, misses an assignment or someone gets open through the lane, I mean, you saw it a couple times. I want to say he had maybe two last night against Baylor, but – he's got long arms, so he's going to be able to jump high. But some of those Baylor guards are just so skilled, they bounce the ball higher than the square. You were able to make those shots. And that, again, is a way to neutralize what Daniel Bacho does. But then it also shows the type of athlete that he is, that you have to make those type of difficult shots around him. And I think that's one thing that Daniel Bacho brings when he does get healthy is he's going to be a guy where it changes your shot selection when you go into the lane because – are you going to try and go into him and see if you can create a foul? Because depending on how, you know, the calls are, maybe you aren't uh, allowed to take contact or maybe you are allowed to take contact. <laughs> yeah, you never know in this uh, league, right? No, yeah. No, and, and again, I know some, some people like to say 
let the players play. I want to say, you know, you play to however it is called that game. And that's what Texas Tech has been able to do a couple times. I think last night it was a little different. And I think that was the one thing that kind of hurt them against Texas as well is sometimes when you play on the road. And that's, again, one of the other X factors is can they play well on the road when maybe you're not going to get, not to say that you get more calls at home. I think it all depends. But I think you have to expect that there are going to be some things that put you in adverse situations is the best way I can say it when you're on the road. And can Texas Tech with their young roster, I know it's, again, six games into the conference schedule, but they still make young plays. They're still young guys. They've got three freshmen that sometimes play on the court when Lamar Washington, Pop Isaacs, and maybe Robert Jennings uh, Jr. goes on the court, you know. Those are three freshmen that have gotten some minutes, but Pop Isaacs obviously being the one that kind of gets more of the accolade because of the way he scored and the way he's been shooting threes. But yeah, to your point, Daniel Bacho certainly a great rim protector. And I think the other important thing to mention, going back to the young guy discussion point that I brought up, he's a sophomore. So again, he's still learning too. It's not like the main seniors you've got are Davion Harmon and Kevin O'Banner at this point that are supposed to be leaders and Right now, I'm not necessarily sure if they are doing that right now. They may be leading by example, but I think they need a little bit more than that from uh, O'Banner and Harmon right now. It's interesting that you brought up O'Banner's name because I was going to ask you about him next because uh, the times I've seen O'Banner play, the dude's a stud. Like the, the dude's a good basketball player. But then I'm looking at his splits this year, and in six road games, his production has dropped off quite a bit. He's averaging just under 11 points a game on the road. That includes, what is it, eight points at Texas and seven points at Iowa State. I'm curious to know, like, what's going on there? Is he, like, what have people figured out about him on the road? Well, certainly you're going to look at game plans and the first guy that's going to come up on the list is probably Kevin O'Banner. I think yesterday Pop Isaacs realized he's uh, shown up on the game plan now because he had some difficulty as uh, Baylor was pushing him up at the three-point line and realized, oh, okay, this guy's a shooter. Going back to your point about him not playing well on the road, if I remember correctly, I think he only had about four shots against Iowa State. So I think in that sense, maybe he didn't feel like he was as assertive as he should have been. Against Texas, I think he was three for eight and I, when he had those eight points. But the important thing to me that really is going to change the way that he plays this game or the way that Texas Tech is able to use him as an offensive weapon is him making three-point shots. Yesterday, he made a three-point shot. That was the first one he made up until he made one against Kansas. He just has not been good shooting the three-point shot, which is something that he was very, very good at while he was at Oral Roberts. But the other thing too, that I know this may not be a popular opinion, but I think having Fardaz Amak finally come back to return, debut, however you want to put it, that allows Kevin O'Banner to not necessarily have to be the guy anymore. He can, you know, not have all this pressure on him. And I think there's something to be said about putting so much pressure on you. I know Mark Adams has mentioned this when I've asked about it, that sometimes he just wants to play so hard and he wants to win so so much as, you know, sometimes that's a detriment to you. Sometimes you just need to relax a little bit. I think having Fardaz back and now seeing the type of offense that they had yesterday where he scores 10 points, but then you have, you know, Pop Isaacs or you've got Kerwin Walton throwing up 12. That helps a lot because now he's not having to, if I remember correctly, I think he had a 24-point game, a 22-point game, a 20-point game, a 25-point game. Granted, they're against like Eastern Washington, Nichols, Houston Christian, South Carolina, but again, he had 26 and 7 against KU. No, and, and again, yeah, so. 
Yeah, going Eastern Washington, I just want to say I'm in Washington. Eastern Washington's won like eight in a row right now. They're the best team in the big sky. So Yeah. No, but 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 I guess to, to my point is he, he just he's inconsistent in those terms, I guess. It's like he'll have those big games against smaller teams, so to speak, or teams that are not of the big twelve caliber, I guess is a better way to put it, minus the Kansas game. But then after that Kansas game, he has fifteen, seven, eight, and ten. Now again, that's having to be the guy. And it's difficult to be the guy at times. And I know that's something that he wanted to prove that he could be. Got himself in the best shape he could. Worked on his three-point shot. And sometimes it just doesn't go in. But I think, again, going back to your initial point about Kevin O'Banner, if he can start making threes, that's going to open up so much for this offense. Because if he's in there with a Daniel Bacho or a Fardaz Amac, or all three are in there, and Amac is also a three-point shooter, that's going to open up the offense because then he can finally play what Mark Adams has been wanting to play, which is high-low. You can pass the ball inside. Eventually someone, that being one of the shooters that they brought in, like a Kerwin Walton, Damari Williams, heck, Pop Isaacs, they're going to be open because if they're trying to double you in the post, someone's going to be open. And at that point, then all you got to do is just make shots, which they were able to do last night, and we'll see if they're able to do it going into the future. Yeah. And then another thing I wanted to ask, you know, as far as when you're defending Kansas State, and it's still weird to say this after 10 seasons of Bruce Weber, but you got to decide if you want to try to run with Kansas State. You know, with the notable exception of TCU, not very many teams have been successful doing that. So is Tech the type of team that's going to want to try to run, or are they going to want to slow this game down? That's one thing Mark Adams uh, brought in when, or wanted to bring in when he uh, added Steve Green, who's a former South Plains uh, college coach, a veteran coach who modeled his offense after the Golden State Warriors. He wants to be up-tempo, may not be as much. Maybe it might be a little bit more now that you're finally getting all your players in and now you're going to see a lot more rotations and the depth's going to be a lot better for them because that's what he wants to do. Davion Harmon's going to probably be the first person that you'll see probably run down the court. You're going to think he's running and traveling, but that dude's so fast he can dribble and run at the same time, which is a huge asset for them, but the problem is he's just not in that situation as much because Tech has just not been able to either find the passing lanes or they haven't been able to rebound and get things started in transition. And again, I, I I know I have been saying this point like a broken record, but these guys are still learning to play with each other. It, it sounds dumb at this point, but it's weird when you add another player that has not played the whole season. It's just, it, it's a thing where you're going to see a pass that maybe a player, oh, I thought you were cutting that way. That's going to miss. That happened a couple times with Pop Isaacs thinking that Fardell was going to cut this way where maybe a, another teammate might have done that. And now he knows, okay, you're going to go this way because you want to take a little uh, jumper from the short corner. You know, that's something that they learn. And again, it's learning through losses, but it's learning nonetheless. And that's what Texas Tech is going to have to do. Again, Kansas State, a team where I know you guys mentioned it about Bruce Weber. The one thing, yeah, you may not have to run with them, but man, it was a rock fight when you played them. And Texas Tech, if they want to win this game, they're going to want to make that into a rock fight defensively because, again, the offense will be there. If it's not, it's going to probably be what happened last night against Baylor, and it's going to be an 80-to-something game, you know, because Texas Tech can shoot it too. It's just you have enough firepower to keep up with what Kansas State has been able to do so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit more about Texas Tech's roster first, take a quick commercial break. We're back, Carlos. I noticed in one of your articles recently you had mentioned that you know, coach said that there weren't really that there wasn't really the locker room leadership that he was hoping for. You know, and and that's something with K State. 
I think Coach Sang has talked about, especially Ish Masood and Marquis Noel, the guys returning have done a great job of that. Uh, I think Bacho and O'Banner maybe the only returners for Texas Tech. Correct. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so AJ Allen Kevin O'Banner starter that returned. Okay. Yeah. And so I mean, have they like do they need to take on more of a leadership role or what's going on there? Well, the thing is, is like, it's difficult to be a leader. And Mark has talked about this when I've asked him. It's just, it's difficult to go in front of a team and, you know, kind of just say what it is. And not only that, but when you bring in several transfers and a bunch of freshmen, do you expect a freshman like Pop Isaacs to go and say, hey, guys, this has to change? You have to build some equity there. And I think that's something that you have to keep in mind. Jalen Tyson, another guy that, you know, kind of stepped in and he was a mid-year transfer last year. Is he going to be someone? You would think Kevin O'Banner or Davion Harmon could do it. Kevin O'Banner, obviously part of the Sweet 16 run last year, but he leads by example. He's a very quiet guy, and that's something that Mark said that Kevin's trying to improve on. Certainly, again, it's something you can't force. Like, you have to figure it out yourself. And going back to Davion Harmon, he's a guy that transferred from Oklahoma, so it's like a guy that just kind of transferred in. Okay, we're going to listen to him. It's just one of those things. So we'll see how that kind of works out for them. But, yeah, to your point – Again, I'm not saying that they don't have leadership. I think it's just difficult to find the guy to kind of tell the rest of the teammates or their team, hey, this is how things have to run. Yeah. I think that's a really good point about locker room leadership and you know the, the team camaraderie and that sort of thing. I'm curious to know just from a stats perspective, who's the other dude on the team? You know, it, it's really rare you find a basketball team these days that are successful, really leaning on the, you know, really leaning on the back of one player. Who do you think is that other, the dude on the Well, on the initially, right well, it's funny you say that because I think that question changes now that Fardaz Amak is back. Like initially, if he would have been healthy, I think he would have been the guy. I know Kevin O'Banner is the returner, but I think Kevin O'Banner certainly is a nice complimentary player that would have helped it. Amac, along with Amac, helping him in terms of finding open shots in the post or from the three-point line. You look at those two, great. Pop Isaacs, I think, has developed into a go-to scorer for them, and he's certainly been a huge asset for them once Big 12 started. I think Jalen Tyson was someone that they wanted to help as well. Mid-year transfer from Texas that is certainly kind of up a big game against Texas, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And again, he he said it just as much afterward. He's like, yeah, I, I kind of knew that this was going to be a big game for me. Former team, I wanted to play well. And the biggest thing for him is he kind of has to have that same mentality each time he goes out. Like he's had back-to-back double-doubles. If he can continue that, the sky's the limit for this team because he's a guy that hasn't had consistent play so far. And if he's able to do that, then you know, okay, if we put him in the starting lineup, he's going to get a double-double for it. So we put Fardaz Amac up there, we're going to get a double-double. If we get Kevin O'Banner in there, we're going to get a double-double. And then you just kind of, again, putting numbers up there. But if you got three guys that are averaging a double-double, that's at least 30 points and 30 rebounds, correct? So then at that point, then you're just kind of saying, okay, what can we get out of, you know, Daniel Bacho? Can we get six or seven points out of him? Can we get, you know, a couple points out of Kerwin Walton or Damari Again, it, it's the shuffling that's been occurring with Texas Tech throughout the season, and it's had to shuffle again because you had Amac now, who I would imagine is going to be the go-to scorer. I want to say that will be the go-to scorer, whether or not some of the current players that have kind of, you know, carved their own rollout have established. But I think that is what was initially the plan up until he did hurt himself before the season started. Yeah, and just to add some context for our listeners, I mean, Jalen Tyson was a top 50 recruit according to three different services. So 
obviously the talent is there for him, like you said, Carlos. It'll be interesting to see how K-State defends the big guys. You know, we, we've talked about this a lot, Eric. That's been sort of the weakness for Kansas State. But at the same time, I don't, I don't know that any of the Texas Tech guys are necessarily guys that are going to bully you inside. So, Yeah, I mean, I think that's my biggest concern right now, and that's really where we've had issues so far this season is, is teams that have post players, not just big guys. With Manny Bates at Butler, post guy. You know, he was in there banging around on the blocks and we didn't have an answer for him. You take a look at the West Virginia game, Eddie Lampkin at TCU, even though a lot of their, a lot of the damage they did to us was getting downhill on us. Eddie Lampkin made that happen because he's just sitting there bumping people out of the way and we couldn't do anything about it. So, you know, if I'm not too worried about size, I'm more worried about guys that want to play with a foot in the paint. So, and that's definitely something that we know that is a point of exposure for us. So is there anybody on Texas Tech that can take advantage of that weakness, you think, Carlos? Oh, I think all the guys that we've just mentioned above. I mean, you look at Fardaz Amat, again, it's going to be another game where he's at least got, you know, a little bit better into game shape. I think he's still kind of figuring out, okay, here's the shots I'm going to start taking. Here's what I'm comfortable with. You look at Kevin O'Banner, I think he's a guy that can, I honestly think he's a guy that needs to prove that he can still play in the Big 12 right now. Like I said, I know not making the three-pointers is kind of a big issue, at least from my perspective, but I think the fact that he has, if I'm not mistaken, man, I I can't remember the stat. I'll I'll think about it as I'm kind of talking through this, but Kevin O'Banner, another guy that can take advantage of that because he's, again, he's been a five. He's played the five at Oral Roberts. And then you look at Daniel Bacho, who, Hasn't had the point production because he's been ill so far, but I think that's something that, again, he wants to prove himself. He wants to show that this is the non-conference Daniel Bacha who is averaging almost a double-double, and that's what you want out of him. And now I remember the stat. Kevin O'Banner, he's got 22 turnovers to, I believe, two assists. He is not playing to the level that needs to be played if you are trying to get the ball to him in the post and he turns it over, you get it to him on the perimeter, he tries to drive and he gives the ball up. He needs to improve that. And I think those are the two things. If he can start shooting threes, not to say that he's not tough, but just to be more conscientious with the basketball when he is given an opportunity on the block or in the paint, I think that would certainly help Texas Tech because there have been multiple opportunities where Texas Tech could take a lead, tie it, and it's not with Kevin O'Banner. It could be any player during certain games or times. It could be him. could have been a Robert Jennings. could have been someone else. I'm just kind of, you know, throwing this out there. But there have been multiple times where they've had easy layups or a essentially a shot under the basket and they weren't able to complete those. That's going to be more of the issue than Kansas State stopping them with their post play because Texas Tech has been able to get great shots or get good shots that all the players are comfortable with making. It's just, can they actually not turn the ball over one? And number two, can they actually finish the play? And I think those are the two biggest ones. And going back to your point, Kevin O'Banner, Daniel Bacho, Fardaz Amak are going to probably be the big ones. Robert Jennings, the freshman, I think he could be a factor. I'm just not sure if he's going to play much because, like I said, with the addition of Fardaz, that kind of pushed guys back. Like K.J. Allen, he's been hurt for a little bit. He hasn't really gotten much. I know everyone knows him from last chance you, but when you got guys ahead of you that are, Kevin O'Banner, Afardaz Amak, and Daniel Bacho, you're going to see your your minutes uh, kind of go down a little bit. Yeah. Well, and Eric, you know, we talk about the post defense, and you mentioned in your post game that we hope, obviously, it's going to get better once David Kassan comes back. Probably not going to happen Saturday. But, you know, we were joking about it in Discord last night. Ish Masood actually did some things defensively. He got his third block of the season. He, he helped out a little bit. You know, is that he encouraging did. He- signs for you? 
Yeah, he played defense for the first time in a season and a half. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, it, 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 we now actually have a three and D player instead of just a three player, which is helpful. No, all joking aside, you know, I, I just want like I think he just needs to get better. He needs to keep you know keep doing that. He needs to get in there and do the dirty work and everything like that. Some of our post defense, to be honest with you, is needs to rely on you know everybody's got five fouls. Let's start using them and that sort of thing. Gasson, you know, Gasson's going to be one of those players like his. He's just a little bit of a thicker post player for us. You know, still not like a really stout. Definitely plays with his you know a foot in the paint all the time, but just gives you a little bit more credibility in the post. But similar to you know Texas Tech bringing back AMAC and and that sort of thing, patience. Patience. The dude's been hurt. You know, he's practicing now. You know, he was a game time decision, I think, at TCU. He was still a game time decision against KU. And someone said that they saw him actually jump up on the scorer's table during the court storming afterwards. So he can't be that hurt. Um, <laughs> so being a home game, we may actually see him on Saturday. But, you know, Tang keeps things so close to his chest as yeah. far as injuries go. Like, we don't even know what he hurt. Other than it was a, <laughs> other than it was a foot or an ankle or something like that, so I'd like to see him back. You know, whenever he's ready to go is as good a time as any. But uh, you know, patience—he's not going to come back and you know solve all the woes that we have in that particular arena right away. Yeah, yeah. So Carlos, I know we've had you on for a while. Before we get to the part where we ask you to make a prediction, I wanted to ask you about a couple of off the court things. First of all, we've talked about Bardas Amac and his mm-hmm. injury and coming back. And there was a whole weird thing where Jeff Goodman came out and said that Fardos was going to transfer. And I think there was some implication that Texas Tech didn't handle his injury properly. And that was part of the issue. You know, what do you make of that? And how much did that affect the team, do you think? I don't necessarily think it affected the team. I think it's just a matter of uh, how do I best say this. But it's one of those NIL deals where sometimes I think that's going to start being a trend with programs around the country. And that's something that coaches have to navigate. I think based on him playing against Texas, I think his injury based on all accounts, when I spoke to him, when I spoke to Mark Adams earlier in the season and throughout the season have, you know, been exactly where they thought they were going to be. So nothing really changed. He wasn't brought back earlier than what he was. Mark never mentioned that he was going to play him before he was hurt or cleared. If, if anything, Mark is very uh, quick to say that he doesn't make the decisions for players that are hurt. It's the training staff that clears them, and then he obviously you know, will deal with them when they get to practice. So in terms of all that, the best thing I can tell you in terms of the facts, he never put his name in the transfer portal, and uh, obviously he did the tweet sent the tweet and said he's still with them and now he's playing with them. And like I said, I think it's just one of those things where I I think NIL is certainly going to be a bigger topic than a lot of people are talking about right now. I know it's a big topic at the moment, but I think there are going to be issues like that that pop up. I know I saw something on ESPN where there was a, I can't remember if it was a Miami or Florida recruit that had, you know, been upset that I guess he got his NIL pulled because he couldn't get into the college or something like that. And, you know, obviously he's upset. Can you sue? It's just one of those things where, you know, it's just about promises and now recruiting is going to be a little bit more difficult. Obviously it's a little bit different with Fardos, but in terms of what you're asking, I know that he did not put his name in the transfer portal, but he's still with the team as you all saw. He's still playing with them and uh, the team is obviously uh, ready to, you know, try and make a run to a championship with them. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Goodman, by the way, did not make a whole lot of friends in Manhattan last night. 
came there for his <laughs> first time for his game. And then, you know, afterwards complained about the travel to Manhattan, which everybody does. Okay, whatever. But also, you know, suggested that Kansas State is not yet a Big 12 title contender or something about, I don't know, they got to put themselves on the road, which is a weird thing to say about a team that already won at Baylor in Texas. But whatever, he's entitled to his opinions. That's fine. National riders, man. You got to love them. That's all I'm <laughs> I love Manhattan. I'm not saying that as a homer trying to get into the good graces of the Cats fans, but I've uh, been part of Manhattan, Kansas times, and I've been there for a couple months as a former uh, writer at the Manhattan Mercury. Kind of know, I can't remember. His, it's Ryan. I can't remember his uh, last name. Uh, Ryan Black. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm very, very aware of how fun downtown can be for you all. I, I can't remember what it's called. Aggieville. Aggieville. Yeah. Aggieville. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm aware of Varsity Donuts. Which, uh, <laughs> there you go. I guess yeah. Jeff Goodman can get credit for taking a photo of Jerome Tang eating it. Varsity Donut. <laughs> you know, yeah. A lot more than Varsity Donut there. So Yeah, we've had Ryan on the podcast a couple of times. We miss him for sure. He's a good dude. And then, so the other thing I wanted to talk about, and, and this was kind of a little bit more off topic, I guess, but, you know, it definitely Texas Tech related is the whole Chris Beard situation. And just, I don't want to, you know, get into litigating what, Chris Beard has done and or what Texas did. I, I thought their lo- Texas lawyer actually put out a really good statement that like, you know, we don't care if you were convicted or not, you were not carrying the responsibility of, of the Texas coach in, the, in your actions. But my question for you is kind of, I saw on Twitter, a, a lot of the Texas tech folks seem to be almost vindicated. I don't know if that's the right word, or, but almost celebrated the Chris Beard situation. Like glad that he's got, you know, what, what do you make of that? reaction the best thing i can tell you all is i do not like twitter and that's one of the reasons <laughs> Twitter's a terrible place and i think uh, dave chappelle said, said it best twitter ain't a real thing you know so you know people have their opinions and twitter's essentially a bar it's just you can read everyone's opinion that are talking at a bar that's essentially what i think of twitter but again uh we, we all know what occurred we all know the facts we've all read the police reports it's not a great thing that occurred and obviously it lost him his job and now he's in a position where he's trying to you know obviously regroup and try and figure things out it still has the potential for this to be looked at by the uh, attorney general which again if that happens he could be looking at more than just losing his job so i think it's a very serious situation that unfortunately uh again social media doesn't consider serious because people just type things out and they don't feel like there's repercussions when you're just a egg on a social media or, you know, insert whatever clip art you want to put as your profile photo on there. (laughs) That's the best way I can say to your question as to how I felt about those things. Because again, at the end of the day, people are affected by this. And I think that's the biggest thing is that people need help sometimes. And I think both of them need help. And I think it's a very sad situation because it affects his daughters, his family, the fiance's family and everyone else. And I think it's a a very difficult situation uh, involved for both parties. Yeah, yeah, for sure. sure. Well, I guess, you know, all we've got left is you want to give us your best prediction on on what's going to happen Saturday? So like I said, uh, man, it's going to be, you know, if AMAC wasn't playing, I would say Kansas State would probably win this by about 10 points. But I think the fact that AMAC is playing, I think it's going to come down to this. And and this is going to sound really – so when when you all – just to make sure that I have this correct. So when you all ask for predictions, you want – Specific score predictions or just what I think is going to happen? Uh, we normally get specific score predictions, but really up to you. Gotcha. So if Texas Tech is able to play defense, 
they may win this by about three points if they play defense. Because like I said, I think their offense is good enough to do it. I think they have the depth and talent to slow down who I think are probably two very talented players. And uh, Marquise Noel, Desi Sills, and obviously everyone else on that Kansas State team. But if they're not able to play defense, it could be a difficult day for him. Because again, going back to Marquise Noel, he's just very quick. He may not be tall, but he can he can get into the lane. He can make quick layups and he can, you know, score very well. I mean, he's had 30 plus point games earlier in the year. And you look at Keontae Johnson, I want to say he scored 24 or more points three times in the last five games. So he's certainly another, uh, you know, attacker that can help Kansas State. But overall, I, I think it's going to be a close, tough game. Whether or not it's going to be a defensive battle or an offensive battle will, you know, depend on how Texas Tech plays. Because I certainly can feel like, again, you can kind of make or, you know, share your narrative. But are they going to have a hangover, you know, the quote-unquote hangover from a big win? a rival in the sunflower showdown or are they going to continue to be consistent as they as they've been so far and you know kind of play it as is because again Iowa State for instance they could have been hearing how great they were after some big wins and they routed Texas Tech now granted that was without Fardaz Amec and Texas Tech was probably in a little bit of a rut itself so I mean it's one of those things where I don't want to just put it on that, but I think Texas Tech has a very, very, I don't want to say fragile psyche, but their psyche is, you know, teetering right now. Like, they'll tell you that they're trying to tough it out, but it is difficult to lose six straight games. Like, that yeah. takes stuff out of you. You can tell when you talk it's to more familiar, unfortunately. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and like I said, I mean, like, you, you can tell. I mean, for all the stuff that we've talked about and joked about with Twitter, they don't realize and this is the thing that you know it, it hits a chord with me is like these are people too you know like we may put them up as like these heroes or whatever but you know desi sills goes and eats at mcdonald's too just like we all do or so you know insert whatever you want he goes to taco john's or something just to you know take it back to manhattan for you all but and i think that's the thing that, that i'll tell you it's not fragile i think it's just it, it's very difficult to get through or get that first victory, and I think when that does happen, whether it's against Kansas State, whether it's against West Virginia, whether it's against insert Big 12 team, heck, maybe if it's LSU, just to even snap the streak, that's going to be huge for them. And I think that's going to be the thing to watch is if they play good defense, if they're able to get a lead, can they continue and keep that momentum in the game? Or maybe they get down 12 and Kansas State just puts the pedal to the metal like Iowa State did, and then you see a 34-point route. Yeah. And unfortunately, I hate to be that guy, but that's essentially what I see, you know. <laughs> so. mm -hmm. Well, Eric, before I go over to you, a couple of things, you know, since you brought up Kante Johnson again, you know, we talked about Baylor's Kante George, and he's going to make a lot of money next year for sure. But I think Kante Johnson's still the best Kante in the Big 12 for right now. <laughs> I agree. I think if you were looking for MVP candidates from that perspective, mm -hmm. not necessarily best player, but MVP candidates, I would agree with yeah. that 100%. Yeah. Um, you know, you could probably make a few arguments. We got the better of them down in Waco, so it's hard to argue that point. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then the other thing, Eric, that I want to, you know, before that you think about this game, you know, Carlos mentioned Iowa State. That is, of course, the team that Kansas State plays next Tuesday, potentially a top 10 matchup if both of them win Saturday. And, you know, as much as Jerome Tang wants to say that, that K State wasn't looking ahead to KU at TCU, you know, it makes you wonder the way K State showed up in that game. So is there a danger of that is something I wonder a little bit. 
a little bit scary, but you know, what do you see happening it's, Saturday? You know, you could you could say that. Sorry, as much as people want to make Farmageddon like the thing and everything yeah. like that, hey, you, you're no no one at K State's looking ahead to Iowa State. <laughs> Looking ahead to KU, absolutely. Looking ahead to Iowa State, sorry, uh, you know yeah. Iowa State, you're having a great year. No one's looking ahead to you, man. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you see happening Saturday in Manhattan? Saturday, Manhattan. I have to politely dissent with our compatriots' assessment here. I think that it's really hard for me to sit there and say, you know, logically, zero and six Texas coming in to play in Manhattan against a five and one K State. I think it's going to go the direction of a little bit more of an up tempo game than what Texas Tech probably needs to win. I like that eighty to seventy number. I think K State's going to come out of there with a you know, with a ten point win, and it's going to be. I think it's going to be first one to seventy, and the winning score is probably going to be in the low eighties. Yeah. You know, one thing I think we can all agree on, Kansas State and Texas Tech fans, is that it's a good thing it's an early game. So it's before the Chiefs and Texas Tech grad Patrick Mahomes play. So that's a fair point. <laughs> that's good news. But yeah, anyway, Carlos, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, people can check out your stuff at lebuckonline.com. And, you know, you do have a, a Twitter, you know, CM Silva Jr. That's correct. Uh, so, appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, and as much as, much as we... he just bagged on Twitter for <laughs> yeah. the last fifteen yeah. minutes. <laughs> yeah. Anything else you want to promote work. here? I use it for work, fellas. Believe yeah. me, I use it for work. For sure. <laughs> so. All right. Well, thanks a lot. We appreciate you coming on. No, appreciate y'all and uh good luck to y'all the rest of the way, my man. Yeah. Likewise. So yeah.